Welcome to The Meeting Room, a place to gather and discuss all things relating to meat safety, quality, and production. In the last week, over 670,000 cattle, 2.5 million hogs, and 33,000 sheep were harvested in the United States. Total red meat production was over 1.1 billion pounds. If you're looking for something special to add to your Halloween spread, Tyson Foods announced that they are coming out with Spooky Nuggets, which are chicken nuggets shaped like pumpkins, bats, and ghosts. Along with that, Burger King has launched a Ghost Pepper Whopper that will come with bacon, jalapenos, and be served on an orange bun with black sesame seeds. Welcome to the meeting room. My name is Brianna Boozman, and thank you for joining me this week. In the last couple weeks, I have received a few meat science questions from my friends and family, and as many of you know, I previously worked at uh, a university, and I was an assistant professor there and got to teach a class, which was really fun, Um, but I feel like throughout my academic career and into teaching, it was drilled into me that if one person has a question, there's likely other people either in the room or in the audience uh, that has that same question. And so uh, today we're going to talk about some things that are just good to know and also some things that are happening in the news. I only shared one news story at the beginning today, so we'll toss a few other things um, in here as we go. So all really cool information um, or just relevant things to know. So the first one that I received is, why shouldn't I thaw meat on the counter? And so this question came up. um, I started making a few TikToks and Instagram reels that I call Beef with Brie, where I either share a fun fact about meat or I air out a grievance um, or air out whatever I have a little bit of a beef with. And in one of them, I mentioned not thawing meat on the counter and received a question about why uh, we shouldn't do that. And honestly, it's a great question, and it's something that I'm kind of a stickler about, and it really came in after I started taking meat science classes in college, and, you know, it's it's kind of funny, I think, when you talk to people in meat science, because there's some who get super hyper-focused on food safety, and there's others who kind of go on the other side of things um, and throw some of it to the wind, but Um, thawing meat on the counter is one thing that I, I tend to be a little bit of a stickler about. And the fact is, it's really not bad to set meat out for a short period of time prior to cooking. Um, but short period is not a very, uh, definitive set period of time. So if it's still partially frozen, you can actually have it on your counter for up to two hours. Um, and again, it's hard because partially frozen means different things too. But really, once it's actually thawed, there's no reason for it to be on the counter. And there's actually uh, folks in the food industry or that are more on the cooking side of things that recommend setting meat out for a short period of time uh, prior to cooking, just because if it gets up a little bit in temperature, it can actually cook a little bit more evenly. I don't know a lot about that to, to talk on it, but the problem with leaving it out on the counter is that it can actually thaw at a very inconsistent rate. So um, portions of it can become 
um, thawed quicker than other portions while other portions remain frozen. And it can create almost hot spots within the meat. Um, and yes, those hot spots are only room temperature, but the danger zone for bacteria growth is uh, room temperature. And so um, leaving it out on the counter, and most of the time what folks do is it isn't just set out on the counter for an hour or so. It's put out on the counter all day, and then um, something comes up and you end up not cooking it that night. So then you put it in the fridge, and then the next day it gets set back out. Um, and those things really uh, foster that bacteria growth and um, can really have an impact on the food safety side of things. And again, um, this is something, it kind of depends more so even on the product, like ground beef or poultry um, is definitely something that I would consider riskier to thaw on the counter than things like steaks or roasts. Um, but still, it's just a good habit, I guess, to get into uh, putting it into the fridge or to run it um, in the package in cool water prior to, to cooking. Uh, so the rule of thumb is that 40 to 140 degrees Fahrenheit is the danger zone where bacteria loves to grow. Food in general, pre-cooked or leftovers, uh, shouldn't be left or held at this temp for more than two hours. If you're going to cook it right away, again, that can have a little bit of leniency. But uh, definitely don't thaw it on the counter, then put it back in the fridge, and then bring it back out. Um, once you're ready to consume it, cook it, and, and go on from it. The second question that I've received recently is, why is jerky so expensive? And this is an excellent question. Um, and also, it's annoying That's jer that jerky is so expensive. I'm a big fan of beef jerky and snack sticks. Uh, they're really easy to take on the go. They're protein packed. They're filling. Um, but they really can do a number on the bank account. And there's a few reasons for this. So the first one is what makes jerky jerky is that it is low moisture. The water in the meat has been uh, mostly removed. And what's left is really protein packed and very, very nutrient dense. And so during that cooking and drying process, Jerky can lose 50 to 60% and sometimes even more of that of the original product weight. So though you may think that you're only buying a pound of jerky or you are only buying a pound of jerky, that would have started and had an actual nutritional value of what is two to three pounds of regular beef. And so if you compare the price of the one pound of jerky versus three pounds of uh, the regular beef, it may not seem that out of line for price. Um, it is very disheartening, though, when uh, you're just not getting that volume. Secondly, making jerky is a major value-added process, and there's a lot that goes into it. So uh, the regular meat that you see at the grocery store, it's cut, it's packaged, and then it's available for purchase. It's um, a lot of work that goes into it, but a relatively simple process. Whereas jerky involves a lot of ingredients, uh, there's time in marination, there's cooking, there's drying, um, and there's people at all of those steps, and then there's people behind the scenes at all of those steps doing the ingredient sales, um, the, again, food safety, all of those things. And so all of that comes with a high cost, but it still does add a lot of value to the product, especially um, if you're thinking about making it at home, 
there's a lot of time, a lot of cost in those ingredients. Um, and if you ever have made jerky at home, you realize how much of a value added process it really is. And finally, the reason jerky is so expensive is because of marketing. People like jerky, um, and there's people out there who are really good at selling jerky. And if you're willing to pay a high price for it, um, it's you're seeing the value that it's more beneficial to purchase that product than to make it yourself. And so just like anything, we assign value to something because of the value that we can get from it, and jerky falls into the high value category. Uh, one of my favorite things, though, about a lot of meat conferences and meetings that you go to is jerky is almost always a snack uh, that's available because people like to offer animal-based protein. So we, uh, we get to get our fair share of jerky quite frequently. Uh, staying on a similar topic, another question that I have received recently is, what is bit long? And so some of you maybe have never heard of BitLong before. And honestly, I don't know if I had even heard about it until probably about a year ago when I still worked in Extension and somebody uh, reached out with some questions um, and BitLong was one of the processes or products that they were looking at. And so um, that is really what kind of made me do some deep dives into it. But uh, this last weekend, I did a half marathon, and the half marathon was sponsored by Certified Piedmontese, um, which is located here in Lincoln, and they gave out beef sticks and bags of Bitlong to the runners. And so Bitlong looks like jerky and is actually a very similar product. However, um, jerky is cooked and Bitlong is not. Bitlong is only dried. And though it's not cooked, it is still safe to consume. When the moisture is removed, it takes away a lot of the ability for microorganisms to grow. Bacteria likes moist environments, um, and meat is a great harbor for that, which again, it ties back into the thawing things on the counter um, because it is, it's nutrient dense and it is a wet product, which is something that bacteria thrives in. And so taking away that moisture can limit their growth. And uh, commercial bitlong production may also use some ingredients to help mitigate any other potential bacteria growth, um, such as like a lactic acid, vinegar. But other similar products that we see that kind of follow this are things, dried meats like prosciutto. Um, that's typically cured with salt and then dried. Um, but it's a lot of these more like artisanal type meat products that I actually had a professor in grad school who would like make these products in his basement. <laughs> and um, I mean, they always tasted delicious. And there's there's a whole whole section of products out there. Um, but if you ever get the chance to try bit long, I do. I do recommend it. It's really good um, and pretty similar to jerky uh, in that sense. So also along those lines, um, a cool story to share with you that was in the news this past week is about uh, Soldier Boy Beef Jerky, which is a company based in Pennsylvania, and they are pushing to provide products to the troops. And so the company, uh, their founder was formerly serving in the Air Force, and 
really now looks to help out the military and military organizations in any way they can. And so they donate jerky um, as well as a portion of the sales to troops and other organizations that are supportive of the military. And it looks like a pretty cool company. Um, so recommend checking that out if it's something that you're interested in. Okay, and the final question that I've been getting recently is, in my opinion, what is an underrated cut of meat? And this is a question that I really like um, when people bring up either underrated cuts or just my favorite cut, um, things that they should try, things that um, if they were to fill out their make sheet uh, for their local locker, what should they get? And my favorite cut of beef is called the hanging tender or the butcher's cut. And this piece comes from the diaphragm muscle. And when the carcass is split, so both at small lockers as well as at big packing plants, beef carcasses are split down the middle along the vertebrae. And um, then they are fabricated or cut following that. And so when the carcass is split, that diaphragm muscle, the center of it, is also split. And the hanging tender comes from that center piece that basically hooks onto um, or is tied basically into that vertebrae and is, is split along that. And so it's a piece that um, immediately is exposed to air. There's actually not a lot of cuts that don't have either some kind of protection um, from the air from either bone or from fat. And so at a local locker, if they keep the carcasses hung for a two-week period of time, 14 days is pretty common, um, this cut can actually really get almost a dry-aged flavor to it uh, because it is exposed uh, to the elements of that locker. And um, it's kind of a unique product because there's only uh, one piece per side or only two per carcass. And it often either goes into trim um, or depending on how long it hangs, since it is a pretty small piece, it might be get too dried out that it's um, hard to add any value to it. It's, it's a kind of unique cut and just something that I'd really recommend to try if you get the chance. Um, it's called the butcher's cutter, oftentimes referred to as that, because back in the day, that was the piece that the butcher would take home to feed their family. And likely it's not something that you would see at the store, um, but if you ever are at a steakhouse and you see a hanger steak on the menu, that is that same cut. And so something I really recommend trying, uh, talk to your local butcher next time you get a steer processed and see if it's something uh, that they'd be able to save um, and give it a try and let me know what you think. And our final news story this week that you need to know is it's all about burgers these days. Burger King is adding a peanut butter. Is that it's all about burgers these days. I already talked about Burger King um, adding in their ghost pepper Whopper, but they even have another option out there. Um, and they're actually adding peanut butter to a line of burgers in Japan. Um, not here in the States, but who knows, maybe it'll make its way over at some point. Uh, but here in the United States, Culver's has their curd burger available for a limited time. 
And so I know a lot of folks who like peanut butter on their burgers. Um, I, man, if I've had it, it's been a long time ago. It's something that personally, I don't think it sounds that great. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be an option that Burger King brings over here. Um, but the one thing that I also have not tried, but I think looks delicious, is the curd burger from Culver's. I'm a big fan of Culver's. And uh, it's available through the end of October and features a Culver's Deluxe topped with a giant cheese curd. And to me, that just sounds fantastic. It's It's got to be worth the try. Um, if any of you try it, let me know. I'd like to hear the review um, and hear what you think. So uh, with that, those are the things that you need to know uh, going into these next few weeks. Uh, but be sure to check out the Meeting Room Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok uh, for more meat science content between episodes. And if you have any meat science questions, um, please don't hesitate to shoot me a message on any of those platforms. You never know, your question might end up on a future episode. Um, and again, if you have that question, other people probably do too. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out. But thank you for joining me this week in the meeting room. And I look forward 